This is Heather Meckes, Director of Discipleship at CRC, and this is our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this inspires you, encourages you, and allows you to see how God is moving in and around you. If you would like to check out more resources, go to coopersvillereform.com. Enjoy the message. Good morning, I'm Stephen, and uh, I get to read the word of the Lord this morning to you. Um, Would you stand so we can hear this? This is from 2 Timothy 2, and this is verses 1 through 7. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you've heard me say in the presence of so many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to be good teachers. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Psalm 91, 2 through 4. John 3, 17. Luke 10, 18 through 20. Exodus 14, 13a. Hebrews 4:12 says the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It cuts, even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. My whole life changed. And my whole life changed. My whole life changed. My whole life changed. My whole life changed. again, CRC, before we begin, would you just pray with me for a moment? Father, we are grateful that we get to hear from your word this morning. Father, I pray that the many distractions that I'm sure each of us have to deal with on a regular basis um, would just be set aside for this time to just hear from you, that you would clear the noise a bit and that we would be able to hear from you. Father, may the words that I share really lead to life-changing transformation, not because I share them, but because your spirit desires to do a work in each and every one of us. God, we love you and we thank you. It's in the mighty name of Jesus Christ that we pray, amen. Have you ever thought about what God can do through the obedience of one person pouring into another person? Uh, I was reading an article this week and I was inspired by it. Take Edward Kimball for an example. Kimball was a Sunday school teacher who not only prayed for the hyper boys in his class, but he also sought to win each one of them to the Lord personally. He decided he would be intentional with every single one of the boys that God had given him in his Sunday school class. Surely he thought about throwing in the towel because if 
you ever had to teach younger boys, you know that it can sometimes be like herding cats, right? One young man in particular didn't seem to understand what the gospel was, so Kimball went to the shoe store where he was stocking shelves and he confronted him in the stock room regarding the importance of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That young man who he confronted was named Dwight L. Moody. In the stock room on that Saturday, Dwight L. Moody believed the gospel and received Jesus Christ as his savior. In his lifetime, Moody touched two continents for God, reaching thousands of people through the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the story doesn't end there. Actually, that's where it begins. Under Moody, another man's heart was touched for God named Wilbur Chapman. Some of you recognize these names. Chapman became the evangelist who preached to thousands. One day, a professional ball player had a day off to attend one of Chapman's meetings, and thus, Billy Sunday was converted. Sunday quit professional baseball and became a part of Chapman's evangelistic team. Then Chapman accepted the pastorate of a large church, and Billy Sunday began his own evangelistic crusades. Another young man was converted through all of that, whose name was Mordecai Ham. When Ham came to Charlotte, North Carolina, a sandy-haired, lanky young man, then in high school, vowed that he wouldn't go hear him preach. But Billy Frank, as he was called by his family, did eventually go. Ham announced that he knew for a fact that a house of ill repute was located across the street from the local high school, and that male students were skipping lunch to visit this house across the street from the high school. When students decided to go interrupt the meetings of Mordecai Ham, Billy Frank decided to go to see what was happening. That night, Billy Frank went and was intrigued by what he heard. Returning another night, he responded, Billy Frank did, to the invitation and was converted. The Lord did a work in Billy Frank's heart. And Billy Frank, as some of you may have picked up, eventually became known as Billy Graham. You could continue following this trail and see where Graham and all of us started within the ministry of Jesus Christ. Think about how far-reaching Christ's message has gone. This fascinating chain of events, though, when you look back to it, was triggered by a Sunday school teacher's concern for his boys. It's estimated that Billy Graham's lifetime audience through his crusades, television ministry, radio ministries, his potential estimated audience, many say, is around 2.2 billion people. 2.2 billion people Billy Graham had an opportunity to speak the gospel of Jesus Christ to. The question that came to my mind this week, which is why I share that story, in relationship to our 2 Timothy 2 text, are these two questions really, and I just paraphrase it in the second version here. Who are you pouring into? Or who are you influencing for Christ? 
Who are you pouring into or who are you influencing for Christ? Paul wrote this second letter to Timothy while he was imprisoned in Rome. Paul first met Timothy in Lystra. This was also the city where he was practically beaten to death with rods and dragged out. But he met Timothy in Lystra uh, really through Timothy's faithful grandmother and mother, and he was impressed with the young man, and he spent several years, Paul did, ministering to and discipling, training up young Timothy. Sometime later, he sent Timothy to this church in Ephesus to bring some order. And so Timothy is at this church during the time of this letter, 2 Timothy. But before ever before Paul ever spent an ounce of his time pouring into young Timothy, two women first poured into young Timothy. Those two women's names were Lois and Eunice. To Timothy, Lois and Eunice was simply known as Grandma and Mom. Grandma and Mom. Here's what Paul says in 2 Timothy 1.5 in regards to these two lovely women. Paul says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am now persuaded lives in you also. So let's again read this text, knowing that background information in 2 Timothy Chapter two, starting at verse one, we'll read all the way through verse seven. Reads like this in the New International Version. You then, Paul writes, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. I want us to examine this text this morning and ask ourselves the questions, are you willing to pour into others or are you willing to influence others for Jesus Christ? I want those questions to resonate in your mind over the next 20 minutes or so. I, I find it way easier to be a uh, cultural Christian in our area. I really love Western Michigan. I'm, I'm thankful the Lord sent me out here. I come in contact with, with so many people, and so many of them are Christians, or at least proclaiming Christians. I look around, you're a Christian, he's a Christian, she's a Christian, I, I go places and I meet with people and mingle with people, they're Christians. 
Go to the basketball games, Coopersville basketball games, 75% of the stands are Christians. A lot of them are you all at the basketball games. And I think to myself, God, why did you even send me here? All these folk are good, right? This seems like a great place to send a faithful minister to retire. Someone who has taken 35 years being kicked around by the world for the name of Jesus. And then as an act of God's overwhelming grace, you just send them to lovely Coopersville, Michigan to retire, to eat at Deli Belly for the next two decades until you have to practically roll them out of the place. And then you just get translated into heaven one day. Like that's what I think of sometimes from the surface when I look at Coopersville, Michigan. But here's what I think I'm growing to learn about this area that I love. It's this, cultural Christianity can be dangerous. As as sweet as it is, as awesome as it is in many regard, it can also be dangerous. What do I mean by that? I mean this, simply adhering to Christian values and norms without a white hot pursuit for Christ and apart from a desire for reaching the next generation in the lost world around us leads to rotten fruit from dying trees. Let me say that again, because I felt when when the Lord put that on my heart, I, I kinda like jumped a little bit in my spirit yesterday in my basement as I was working on this. Simply adhering to Christian values or Christian norms without a white hot pursuit for, for, for Christ and apart from a desire for reaching the next generation and the lost world around us can lead to rotten fruit on dying trees. Now let me ask the questions again, the one question again actually, with some necessary additions. Who are you pouring into? And what are you pouring into them? Who are you pouring into? And what are you pouring into them? Back to the text. Verse one, the question that must come up in our hearts after just reading verse one in 2 Timothy 2 is, Are we being strengthened in the grace that is found in Jesus Christ? Are we? Or are we simply relying on other means so we can keep up the Christian appearance in our own Christian culture? God's grace is found in the free favor and love that is experienced by faith in Christ alone. In this grace that we have freely received outside of any of our works enables us to radically be strengthened, emboldened in Jesus Christ. And it's that grace that empowered Paul through the Spirit of God to share these words in chapter one in 2 Timothy in verse seven. For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power love, and self-discipline. 
but it can be so easy to simply trust in our Christian upbringing and in our own religious efforts or compare ourselves even to the Christian culture that is around us and the Christians that are around us. And thus we become timid, I would suggest. Timid in our worship, timid in our love, and timid in raising up followers of Jesus Christ. But yet it can be all too common for us to have a church or to have churches with a bunch of timid believers. Timid in their worship, timid in our love, and timid in our passion as it regards raising up people, followers of Christ. I don't know if you caught that, but Paul here uses three analogies to give further insight and clarity of the type of strength that Timothy is to have. Remember, this is going out to Timothy, but I believe the instructions still have a lot to do with us today. He gave these three analogies that we too are to exhibit as leaders in Christ. He gives these word pictures to Timothy. The word picture, the first one is good soldier. Someone who's suffering well and pleasing their commanding officer. And Paul says in 2 Timothy 2, the good soldier doesn't get tangled up in civilian affairs. There are some good soldiers who are out here with us who could talk further about this. And then the second one he gives is the competitive athlete competing to receive the victor's crown only by competing according to the rules, to the guidelines. It's the only way in which you can do that unless you're Tom Brady, deflate gate, deflating footballs. Never mind. Okay, three. He's retired now. We can't talk about him. Okay, three. Talks about the hardworking farmer. The hardworking farmer expecting to receive the first share of the crops. I don't know about you, but have you ever met a farmer who wasn't hardworking? I'm not sure one exists because they wouldn't be in farming very long, right, if they weren't hardworking. What is Paul saying here, though? First, let me tell you what he's certainly not saying. He is not saying that your hard work and effort causes you to earn your salvation. He's not saying that. That would contradict everything else he has written. He's certainly not saying that. He's not saying hustle harder and you can win in Christianity. Just go get him, champ. He's not saying, this isn't Rocky Balboa speech here, okay? This is not what he's saying. But in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, Paul does write, but by the grace of God, that's what strengthened, strengthened him, the grace of God, he says, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. It did something in me. He says, no, I worked harder than all of them, Paul says. 
I worked harder than all of them. Then he confirms, no, 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 yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. You catch that. He says, I, I, I was grinding harder than all of them. I'm the last of the apostles, earlier in that chapter he says. But he goes, I was grinding harder than anyone, but, but not I. It was the grace of God at work with me. What is Paul saying then? Here in 2 Timothy 2, it seems to me that Paul is providing word pictures to Timothy that suggest that mediocrity as a soldier or a competitive athlete or a hardworking farmer is certainly foolishness. You wouldn't want to have a mediocre soldier. Why be an athlete if you're gonna be a mediocre one? Why farm if you're gonna be a mediocre farmer? He says, look, it's silly. Pull from the strength of these three pictures. Look at how strong they are. Look at how dedicated they are. Look at how serious about their craft that they are and their calling. He's saying, look at the good soldier. Look at the athlete who competes to receive the first place trophy, not the, not the participation trophy, right, that everyone gets. This was before then. You know, not everyone gets a participation trophy. I'd rather turn in 25 of my participation trophies for one first place trophy. Look at the hardworking farmer, Paul says, who can expect to receive a harvest. Look at these pictures. If you're gonna be a soldier, be a good one. If you're gonna compete as an athlete, get off the couch, understand the rules, start training if you wanna win. If you're going to get into farming, you better be a hardworking farmer, else you're gonna get swallowed up by the fields. This is the tone. Likewise, if you're going to serve Christ, why not serve him with every fiber of your being? Do you see the pictures now and the purpose of the pictures? What's the point of simply being a respectable Christian? Someone who just does enough, gets in by the skin of their teeth. If there's one thing that is worthy of giving your all to, give it to this cause, Paul is declaring. As you pour into others, do it with everything you have. When I gave my life to this, my whole life changed. My whole life changed, back to the series. When I witnessed people giving to me portions of their time to train me up in Christ as a young man who didn't have a father in his life or a Christian home or a Christian upbringing, I wanted to ensure to those people that their investment would be a worthy one because there's no greater investment into people than the investment of your time. My roommate, Phil and I, had young men staying in our small 800 square foot apartment with hopes of showing them a new way to live in Christ. I remember being 23 years old and fostering a young 12 year old boy whose mother just sent me or sent him to me 
with a small duffel bag of clothes. And the only thing that caused me to say absolutely when she asked if this young man could come and stay with me under my care, I just ate ramen noodles for dinner every single day practically or those $5 pizzas from Little Caesars. I had no, I should not have been fostering a young man, but God allowed us to survive, okay? The only thing that caused me to say absolutely was the fact that however long I had this young boy under my care, I was going to pour my whole life into him in this season. Friends, listen to me. Mediocrity in the Christian life is the worst type of mediocrity. If you're going to enlist to be a soldier, be the best soldier that you can be. If you're going to buy a pair of $300 running shoes and compete as an athlete, be the best runner that you can be. If you're going to farm, be a hardworking farmer who cares about his craft or her craft. And if you're going to call Jesus Lord, pick up your cross and follow his marching orders. I believe that is the tone that Paul is speaking to young Timothy in 2 Timothy 2. And by the way, young Timothy probably means Timothy was most likely in his 30s or so at this time. And what is a key marching order for the people of God? What is a key marching order? Invest in others and make disciples. This is a key marching order throughout the whole New Testament of scriptures. Invest in others and make disciples, disciples being followers of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine with me for a second someone who spent over 20 years as a cook at one of the local restaurants here in town? They spent 20 years as a top cook. Now imagine with me that the boss of that restaurant brings a new person who doesn't know a spatula from a pizza cutter, okay? And ask that 20-year veteran to teach this aspiring young chef the ropes. Could you imagine how asinine it would be for that veteran chef of 20 years to say, oh, I really don't have an idea about cooking. I mean, I'm just trying to figure this out myself. I don't really feel capable of training anyone under me. I've only been here 20 years. If you were the boss, would you not think to yourself, what? You've been working here 20 years. I've given you 20 raises. I've given you several promotions. And you can't raise up the next person? Now imagine how crazy it is when a person who says they've been following Christ for 20 years, but when they're given the challenge to pour into others and make disciples, they say, oh, I'm not a pastor. <laughs> oh, I'm, that's not my thing. Oh, I don't know enough. I'm not capable of that. There is no other area of life that would accept such passivity, but we have grown in the American culture to expect it in the church. 
No other area of life would a 20-year veteran or a 15-year veteran or a 30-year veteran or longer be able to get away with that excuse. But in the church, let's just be honest, we've grown to expect it. Here are some scriptures that were burning in my soul with that thought in mind. Mark 1.17 was the first one. Jesus walking alongside the Sea of Galilee sees Peter and Andrew, and he, and he says, come follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. That was the intended reason. Come follow me, then I will pour into you, and then you will go and pour into others. And then this one, Psalm 78, verses four through six. Listen to this. We will not hide from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, and the wonders that he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. In 1 Corinthians 11, 1, when I thought of this scripture, I thought to myself, can any of us say this? Who can say this? Like Paul, follow my example, as I follow the example of Christ. As believers, can we say that to people? We have to ask ourselves these questions. And then Philippians 4.9, Paul writes again, he says, look, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me. So whether you've heard it come out of my mouth or whether you've seen me act on it, put it into practice. Can we say that? Can I say that? And the God of peace will be with you. We conclude on this question. Who are you pouring into? Who are you pouring into? You want your whole life to change. You wanna not just live like a cultural Christian, like I think can be easy for so many of us, including the guy who's standing up here now. Take these truths to heart and live them out with all of your being. And then watch what the Lord does and watch how exciting your life becomes and watch what can be accomplished through little old you or little old me. Parents, we are to pour into our children these truths. It is our responsibility first to raise up our children in Christ, not the churches. We pray the church affirms what is already being taught in the home. That's the reality. Men and women, who are you raising up for Christ? Young men, young women, who are you raising up for Christ? Old men, old women, who are you raising up for Christ right now in this season of your life? Students who are here and have a relationship with Jesus, who are you faithfully sharing your life with? Senior adults, 
Who are you pouring your life into for the advancement of the kingdom? Who? Believers don't retire from the mission. We just die and go to glory. We don't retire from the mission. If you're breathing, you still have something to offer, I promise. For those who think they're too young, it was my 16-year-old friend who ministered the gospel to me and it eventually sent me on a trajectory that I could not have imagined. She was 16 years old, she was a year younger than me. She was a friend who partied with me and then I asked her, hey, what party are you going to this Friday? She said, I'm not going to any party, I'm going to a youth event, I've given my life to Jesus. I said, that's different than beer bongs on Friday night, I guess, okay. Oh my goodness, what has happened to my friend Courtney? You don't have to be a gifted teacher. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be an evangelist in terms of the standing on stage proclaiming the gospel type of evangelist. But you simply need to have a heart that is white hot for the love of God and the love of people. If you have those two components, which means the spirit of God dwells within you, you are equipped to pour into others. I've heard it once said that the people who you need to pour into, you simply need to be one step ahead of them. That may mean they're 30 years older than you, and that may mean they're 30 years younger than you. It doesn't really matter in terms of age, but you simply need to be one step ahead of them in this journey, and you can pour into them. And then even in some cases, they may be ahead of you And they may be pouring into you, but you're also pouring into them some. May God produce that within all of us, church. And may mediocrity in Christ, in his mission, become a rotten scent to our soul. And may we call it out for what it is. Would you pray with me? Father, I, um, I knew when uh, you, you gave me this message that it would be a hard one, it would be a sharp one, but Father, I pray that you would move my soul and those souls here today to live these words with every fiber of our being, that we would not be mediocre in our worship and in our mission for you, but that we would be all in. And everything else would just seem silly. Any other alternative within us would just seem silly. May your spirit call it out within us when we tend to lean towards mediocrity, and may we push forward in the mission. Father, I pray that we would be strengthened by the grace of God that is found in our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus, and may we not back down. May we be emboldened, and may we be faithful witnesses to Christ for the glory of your name. Father, I pray that you would raise people up here, even this morning, to live out these truths more fully in their life, for I know I want to be in that group as well. God, we love you, and we thank you, and we plead with you. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, 
we pray. Amen. Just going to do something a little bit uh, off schedule this morning. Um, I don't know about you, but I am cut to the heart by your words, John. And I, if you, um, if you are too, I'd like to go one more time in prayer. Heavenly Father, the words that John said this morning are true. He has not spoken a lie. Father, your church has been sleepy for a long time here, here in Coopersville. I confess to you that you have, you have poured into me. You have poured into this church. You have poured into every life here. You have poured eternal life into every life here. Father, I confess to you that we are like a bucket rather than a pipe. Father, I confess to you that we've been holding on to all the things that you've given us and have not passed them along to the next generation. Father, I confess to you that we are comfortable. Father, I confess to you that we are consuming. Father, I do confess to you that we've done what little we need to do to get by because it's the right thing to do. Oh, Holy Spirit, at this time, we leave our hearts vulnerable for you to change it. Holy Spirit, change our hearts. Put someone in our lives. You've already put people in our lives. May we, may we pour into someone else just as you've poured into us. Oh, Father, I am sorry for how we have, we have consumed all the good things that you've given us and not given them back to others. We come before you this morning and we say, we say that we're sorry and we ask for the strength and the power from your Holy Spirit to change that. In Jesus' name, amen.